Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek, coach at Top Step Training, and I'm here with Marilyn. Hey, guys. Good to be here. You can find everything with me at mcc.coach. Always happy to have a chat. And um, I just had my first race back in a really long time over the weekend. Woohoo! Tell us about it, Jesse. Um, well, it, uh, it, racing is hard. You know, I kind of forgot, <laughs> forgot how hard racing is. <laughs> One thing for me that was really nice about this race though, is it started at 11 AM. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's which meant my it was kind of racing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one thing we were just kind of talking about is how, uh, you know, I, I, my sleep hasn't been amazing lately, kind of in, in dad mode over here. And so being able to sleep in race morning was kind of a, a nice, nice little gift for this race, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Heck yeah. That's really good. Hey, we were talking before your race, you had with your training with swimming in particular, you were really um, unsure because you hadn't been with your normal groups and, and all of that. How did it play out as far as the swim start and how you felt on the swim? You were, you were really comparing like, okay, I now have different metrics on trying to judge where I'm at and how's that going to play out in an actual race? I've been swimming in a wetsuit in the pool. How was that? Um, well, if you have a second of time, uh, maybe I'll even link to it in the show notes. You should watch the start for the race because it is hilarious. Oh, um, I want to see this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beach start and it's about like a hundred meter run into the water. And, you know, I, I would say that, you know, there was like 30 male pros there and about 20 of them were half my age. Oh, and dang. you're like, ah! <laughs> When the gun goes off, I basically get trampled and I'm like last in the water because I forgot that like 20 year olds, when they go to get in the water and it's a run in, it, it was like, Matt, like I can't run four minute pace. So I couldn't have hung on anyways, but I feel like we were going like four minute in the sand, just full on into this water. And I was ready, but I wasn't ready for that. And you can see me just like getting like last one in the water. Um, so that was, that, so that was off. To we got to work there. on your 50 meter dash dash sprints. Well, yeah, <laughs> apparently. Although I'm looking at my races for the rest of the year to like to find that out ahead of time to know if this is something I need to hone in on. Um, <laughs> because my, my turnover was not quite ready for that kind of beach start. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you want to watch me get knocked around before the race even starts, uh, watch that video. Um, but, but the actual swim was good. So the metrics that you were using in the pool, uh, they were accurate and they, you, you found out that you were able to swim right where you normally do. Yeah. It, and it kind of raised a lot of questions for me as far as like how much energy I was putting into the swim in the past and how much of that was actually correlating to how I was swimming in a race versus when I was swimming on my own here, where I was doing not a, not a ton of work actually, as far as like intensity goes, but it was all kind of geared towards what I thought the race dynamic would be like. And, and I feel like, yeah, I got in the water and once, once I actually got to the water anyways, I felt fine. Um, can you actually, I'm really interested in this. Can you specifically name like, like, what does that mean? Like, okay. And what I mean by that is just list like a, a specific set that you would normally do when you were in Tucson and, and 
doing that. And like, when you say you were doing very specific stuff for the race dynamic in the water there, what would a set look like? Like, how were they different? Um, so in Tucson, I would say that I ended up doing a fair amount of like threshold work with a master's group, because if you ever swim with the masters, it kind of feels like you either do really sprinty stuff on a lot of rest or like touch and go stuff. And that's basically what I was doing where we do something like 18 100s and, you know, maybe they are like four fast too easy or something on like a tight send off for the four fast and then a easy send off for the easies and maybe or something like nine 200s, you know, but it was usually like 1800 yards of mostly threshold work and then a pull set. Like that was kind of like my jam on the regular in Tucson. Um, and, and yeah, so one thing I've been working on here a little bit more is like, um, the other day I did like, I, um, like six, four hundreds and I would alternate how much the, the 400 was like takeout speed. And then the rest would be settle in speed. So maybe like, it'd be a hundred to takeout speed and then 300 settle in, and then it'd be 200 to takeout speed, 200 settle in and kind of like bounce back and forth between how much of it was takeout, how much of it was settling in, um, but try, trying to work on that transition and then trying to work on takeout speed being kind of hard. And um, I, I think I've, I've done 100s like once since I've been here because I, yeah, most of my stuff has just been kind of like longer. Um, and I've done a lot of just lo- like where you kind of exactly what you tell athletes not to the pool, where I would, not to do at the pool, where I would just go to the pool and swim three or 4K straight. Um, and I would also not recommend that for everyone, but like, I've been swimming for a long time. So like for me to jump in and swim 4k straight, um, my stroke is going to stay together and I can roll pretty steady for, for 4k. And it's like, it's kind of fine, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily give that to someone else, but for me doing things like that, like a little more continuous swimming and kind of like bigger swims seem to get me, get me ready with kind of a lot less intensity and, um, I, you know, I kind of wonder if I was wasting some kind of training stress in, in there before. Yeah. And it's always fun to try different things. And sometimes we don't even know if it's that that was the, uh, it's just simply a change. And sometimes just change is what you need in order to improve. We roll the same thing for a long time. Like if you've been doing the same thing for eight years, eventually it just sort of falls stagnant and you don't see improvement from it anymore. And so it's, you know, yes, consistency is like key and, you know, doing things that are repetitive are key and it's cumulative, but then there also becomes like a little shift point where if it's been long enough, it's just a simply doing something slightly different, not, you know, throwing the baby out with bath, bath, bath water, but just like a little bit different. And all of a sudden that change was perfect for that person. So like you say, you might not assign that workout or that strategy to one of your athletes, but it was like the perfect change that you needed. So that's pretty cool. That's, it's cool to experiment like that too. Yeah. Well, it's especially cool and it works out well, right. It'd be a bummer if I <laughs> was last <laughs> out of the water, this yeah. conversation might be different. Right. Um, but it's fun to do that too. Sometimes you're like, oop, check that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, you know, <laughs> that is true. Then, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I'll just give a quick race recap since we're on it. Uh, the ride was really hard. It was hilly and a um, bunch of cobblestones in there. And that, it was kind of fun, fun, hard ride. It was 
I mean, it was one of my slowest 70.3 rides in a long time, but I think everyone's time was slow just because the course was hard. So having a real challenging course like that was fun. Um, and then the run was also fairly hilly. It kind of like was akin to maybe a wildflower as far as the bike and the run. And, and so, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough course. And, and yeah, I, I feel like I was also not quite as mentally prepared for the run to be as hard as it was, but it was a good kind of lesson and, and, um, yeah, just being mentally prepared for, for what's coming. And, and like we were talking earlier, it got up to like 78 and I was like having people hose me off cause I was so hot and I thought it must be like 110. And then they told me it was in the seventies when I got done. And I was like, this, this can't be right. I need to go home. I need, I need some more heat in my life. <laughs> That's crazy how quickly we adapt. Right. It's like, even just this first, you know, it's just this first, uh, shifting points in Tucson where it's starting to get really hot every day, like, you know, 105, 102 every single day. And, uh, that you adapt really quickly and then we get used to it, but it's, you know, that first couple of weeks is just murder on you. You're so tired all the time, beat up from getting up early every day and then just being drained in the heat every day. But it's amazing how quickly, if you're out of it for a while, I mean, you move away from that, that quickly. Yeah. And on the flip side, I'm sure in a week, you'll kind of be a little more adjusted and it'll feel a lot better for you, right? You kind of can, can get that back pretty quickly once you've established that base for it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's good for a good reminder too, for if you're someone who trains in places, because most of the places in, in the world and, and especially in the U.S. are a little cooler, right? They sort of sit in that eighties up to like someone will say, oh, it was really hot today and it might be 90 degrees. And, um, and then they, if they go to a race and they're racing under stress and under intensity, how, how hot that really is for them. And so it's a good reminder of that when you live in somewhere where it's really hot all the time, almost everywhere you go, it's colder. So it's sort of that, you know, just good reminders of those kinds of dynamics where you train and then where you end up racing and what intensity level you race at what hot really feels like it's going to feel different for different people and really different based on where you're coming from so whole another conversation there for sure um but in in order to kind of bring it back to what we're going to talk about today this race did have two really interesting things as far as like kind of planning out my nutrition for the race um one being the 11 o'clock start massively changed when and what I would eat before the race. And then the other thing is, is since the bike course was heavily cobbled, that changed um, kind of what I was going to rely on for fuel for most of it, because, you know, I wanted to be able to have my hands at the ready as much as I could. Um, because, you know, I mean, I'm pretty good at riding bikes, but I do not have very much experience at all riding on cobbles. So it definitely stresses me out a little bit. And yeah, I didn't want to be like fumbling around with gels or anything like that on this course. Cause I wanted to make sure, um, I got my nutrition in and was kind of focused on going fast and keeping the bike upright <laughs> while I was making my way around. That's a super important point that you make. One of the most common questions I get from people is like, how do I carry all this nutrition and knowing the type of course that you're going to be on. So if it's going to be like you say, really rough surfaces, or say it's going to be a really windy course, knowing what type of elements and surface you're going to be racing on should determine, you know, if you're used to carrying your nutrition a certain way 
And then you just don't even investigate on that or go in prepared knowing what you're what you're going to be facing. And then you realize, oh, my bottles are getting launched every three seconds, or I can't actually take my hands off my handlebars to get the nutrition that I plan. That can completely ruin a race. So that's like a really important point that you make there. And um, what are some of what what would you say is your normal way of carrying your sports nutrition for racing? And then what were the changes that you made for this race? Um, so, well, I guess like this, my bike has a lunchbox and I feel like if I have that, I kind of want to use it because it's a nice way to keep, keep things arrow and keep things with you. And so I normally throw a few gels in there and, and use that as part of my nutrition strategy. But in this race, I wanted to go full liquid. So I started out with three bottles on me that all had, uh, like 350 calories in there and it was just liquid nutrition all the way so that I, um, yeah, I didn't have to worry about grabbing anything. And actually my front wasn't a bottle. It was a, uh, arrow drink or whatever. So I had a, a cool straw and, um, and again, so I could grab it and take in fluid without, um, having my hands off of anything. So, so yeah, so I went full on with a straw and then, you know, I, I re could refill that at aid stations where, um, you know, hopefully they were put in such a way that it was like smooth surface, which they all were. So that was fine. And then, you know, had the two other bottles where I could kind of grab and fill and then chug some water out of there or chug some mix out of there whenever I kind of needed to. And, uh, and yeah, but it was able to have the straw there so that I could kind of keep that constant feeling going in. Um, because that is one thing that I found is super important for me is that like, I, I can't take big breaks in my fueling and try and catch up or try and like you know, fuel for what's to come. It's kind of got to be that like 15 to 20 minutes where I'm like getting in a little bit. Um, and I, maybe some people are a little bit better than that than I am, but especially when I'm going like full on racing hard, uh, it needs to be like consistent and, and regularly. And if I don't, then that'll like kind of throw my whole day. And so, yeah, th I had the straw there so that I could like stay really consistent in getting in, you know, some calories like really regularly throughout, throughout the entire ride. And you're, you're normally a pretty liquid type racer when we're talking about race nutrition and, and how it can be different for different athletes you're racing in the, in the professional field, pretty high intensity. And so talk about a little bit about the differences, what that, those requirements are. I mean, from my, some of the advice that I give and things that I, I outline for people racing at high intensity, and they're trying to go after fast races. So tough conditions, like very hot conditions, very humid conditions, and at high intensity, your body, the advice I give is that your body isn't going to be able to break down and absorb necessarily like solid type nutrition. In other words, if you have to put it in your mouth and chew it, and then it's solid in your stomach, that can be very difficult. So anything when your race is at that, that type of intensity or in very stressful conditions, when you put it in your mouth, it generally should turn to liquid by the time it hits your gut. So that can be sports, you know, liquid sports, nutrition, gels, bananas are fairly easy to digest, plain chocolate. So you can take, you know, chunks of chocolate, freeze them, wrap them in tin foil. But when you put it in your mouth, by the time it hits your stomach, it's, it's liquid. Um, some of the chews and stuff like that are pretty easy to digest, but things that are you know, at that level of intensity. So you would stay away from like a peanut butter sandwich or a granola bar or cliff, you know, I used to, you know, those bars, those real dense 
you know, peanut butter, those types of things that other people might use in, in different circumstances that we'll talk about. But, you know, high, high heat stress and high intensity generally is successful. I liked what you said is little and often and usually liquid. Those are the things that um, the advice I give. What, what have you experienced and what do you use? Yeah, no, I 100% agree with all that. I think you're right. The intensity does play a really big role in that. And like, just for example, in this race, I think my normalized power was like uh, 270, which is 90% of my energy. Sorry about that door. Um, so yeah, I was like rolling around like 90, 90-ish percent of, of my threshold. Um, so yeah, the ability to kind of like digest food is gone at that point. So you know, if you're going, the harder you go, then yeah, the more, the more you want it to be uh, already processed. So like liquid sugar that like you said, it's just going to like hit your stomach and be absorbed and it's not going to have anything to slow it down. And, and so, yeah, I guess the higher you're going, the, the closer you want that to be, it's like almost like, you know, I, I always like to use the, the baby bird analogy. Like this has already been chewed up. It is like, just ready to go straight into your body. If you could, if you could IV it, that would be, that would be better, but obviously you can't do that. Um, so, so yeah, I, when I'm racing, yeah, I stick to pure, um, pure either liquid or gel, which is basically liquid nutrition. And then it, occasionally for like a full, I'll put in some like chews or something like that. Like, like I, I mean, I'm sponsored by Power Bar, but I love these anyways. They, they have these little Coke blasts that are like co Coca-Cola flavored gummy chews. And again, it's like, yeah, it's a solid, but it's basically already, it's, it's, such, it's such pure sugar that it's basically already digested anyways. But sometimes in an Ironman, I'll have that just basically for something to chew on, feel like you're actually eating a little bit of food, even though it also just kind of like gets digested really fast. Um, and we talked a little bit about the, the different sugar types too, like you're saying sugar and at high intensity, obviously you're, you're really ripping through that sugar when you're racing. And the other tricky part is when you're racing fast, you have less, you're burning more sugar, but you have less time to absorb it. Right. So that's the, that's a crapshoot a little bit because if you've <laughs> only got, you know, you're ripping through, you know, three, 4,000 calories on the bike, but you're only out there four hours or 350, you know, on, on an Ironman or something like that, then you've got this huge amount of calories that you need, however, and it's hard to digest and you don't have that much time to do it in and be prepared and set up for the run. So you talked a little bit about when we were offline still about the type of sugar that the products that you look for can be different for different people and the type that you prefer. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a really important thing to experiment with and to kind of take note on is, you know, there are a ton of great products out there and they all have a lot of the same characteristics. Like, you know, they're all basically sugar with a little bit of salt, a little bit of flavoring, a little bit of other stuff in there, but how, what, what source that sugar is from can make a difference in how it absorbs and how you feel like whether it's like glucose with some fructose or whether it's basically maltodextrin or some kind of mix of that, or some kind of like, um, you know, so it's some other form of maltodextrin that's basically like, you know, some other kind of polymer that it, it's made out of. Um, but, but yeah, like they're all simple sugars, but how they're broken down in your, in your body. And then like how you personally break them down and how much you can take, like, um, can, 
can kind of vary per person. And so that's what I would experiment with. I would, you know, some people just look at the brand names, but I would really look at the different sugars that make up each product and try and take them at intensity and then see how your body reacts to that. And then, you know, you kind of like maybe try something with a different type of sugar, or if that worked well, and maybe try products in that vein, but you can really kind of assess out, um, you know, what could work well for you and, and then like how much you can take. And then, um, and then you need to start factoring. And one other thing we were talking about is how much you can take under various amounts of stress. So there's the stress of like racing, there's a stress of racing on cobbles. There's the stress of racing in a foreign place when it's hot and windy and all these layers of stress kind of like it usually kind of reduce how much of those calories you can actually absorb while you're racing. So it, it is important to kind of like find that best product for you, that best kind of mix of sugars, see what that ceiling is for how much you can take. Um, and I mean, I, this is my, my kind of like philosophy is, is like, you want to be able to, you want to take as much as you can and still feel good. Like you don't want to give yourself a stomach ache, but if you can take, you know, 400 calories an hour, then you, and you're racing at a high intensity, then you want to try and do that. Um, but then you also need to make sure you're taking into account, like I said, like those other stressors, because that's going to make it harder for you to digest those calories. And maybe you need to tone that down, but kind of like you said, is that like the, um, the, the expenditure is always going to be higher than what you can, what you can burn. So like, you're never going to be able to eat that 3,500 or 4,000 calories on the bike in four hours. So like, what's the maximum you can take in, in those conditions. And, and then, yeah, kind of playing around with what sugars help you get there the best. And, and really, I, I think the only way to find that is you can, you can hear what other people do and use that as a basis for your experiments, but the only way to do it is to experiment what works best for you. Yeah. And you can, I mean, there's an element of gut training as well, you know, pr really practicing it and, and teaching your gut to handle what under stress. So first not, you know, just being able to handle once you've chosen the sugars that work for you and they work, you know, you're fiddling around with how much, and then you can gut train by doing it a lot in training under stress and sort of Mac, you know, really maximizing that teach your body to handle that and absorb that. I have heard recently of people getting a little bit carried away with that. Um, you know, I've heard as extreme as people who are racing quite fast, trying to, they're taking in 600 calories an hour. Now, if you're able to do that and you've trained that and you've gut trained it and it's working for you, fantastic. However, there's a huge amount of risk in most people trying that. The GI stress that will come up on the run and doing that, if you're not really, really sure about it, it's pretty risky. I know the body can really only absorb 300 calories an hour. Um, so, you know, from there, you're pushing the boundaries on your gut training and what you're able to handle under stress and how much your body can absorb. All of this also has to be backed by fluids and taking into account how much sodium you need. Everybody's sodium um, needs are a little bit different. So, you know, those all come into, come into play as well and, and figuring that out. I do get a lot of questions about, you know, is it worth putting aminos in your bottles, protein, those kinds of things. I know that pro adding protein aminos to bother, the more complex you make your, 
nutrition, the harder under stress it's going to be to digest and the more risk there is for GI distress. And especially under hot races, if you put protein in bottles and then say you're in an Ironman, you leave it in special needs, the chances of that spoiling um, or even spoiling later on your bike. And now you're, you're putting in your body something that is off, you know, it's rotten from the heat and the, and the protein that's probably going to make you sick at some point in the run. So again, anything that you put in there, you got to think it's got to be simple, easy to digest, practiced, backed up by hydration, um, know that you can handle it. And it, it's not going to, the more complicated it is, the harder it is, is going to be for you to, you know, digest and, 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 you know, there's always that risk of GI distress and nothing will halt you in your tracks more than a massive stomach cramp or, you know, GI issues on the run. So it's, that stuff's really important. There is the other side of the spectrum, though, you know, if you're a racer who is at a little bit less intensity, you know, and maybe you're out there for a lot longer and you've got the time, your nutrition, you can listen all this and think, OK, well, I'm going to load up on all this, you know, gels and liquid nutrition, and that might not actually be the ideal nutrition for you. So it's very important to understand where you race at and plan your nutrition around that. So again, having conversations with other people, if you're going to, if you're out there at a very low intensity for 15, 16, 17 hours, having a lot of water, we know from medical scenes that can lead to hyponatremia. You know, they, you, you're not going at a high enough intensity. They, they're taking in too much water and there's risk of hyponatremia. So you want to make sure that you are taking in appropriate sodium levels and, you know, maybe chicken soup, you're eating a little bit more solids. You're able to, that in that case, you're able to digest more solids. You might be using the fruit at the aid stations, pretzels, chicken soup, potato chips. Your nutrition looks quite different if your intensity is low and you're out, your duration out on the course is a long time, what your needs are, what type of nutrition, you know, those types of things, it, it changes drastically versus, you know, one is way far on one side of the pendulum and one is way far on the other side of the pendulum than everything in between. Yeah, definitely. I think if, you know, if you're going to try and be out there for, for a long day and you're going to try and only fill yourself on, on sugar. I mean, like the, the only reason it works when you're going hard is like, you're, you know, you're burning so much that like, you know, you're, you kind of want your, your, your blood sugar to be high and you want, cause you're, you're just burning at such a high rate. You, you want all those reactions, but if you're going to be out there for a long day and you're going like at a slower, lower intensity where you're, you're burning a little bit more fat and you know, you're not just burning almost pure sugar then, you know, dumping all that sugar in could, I mean, it is going to upset your stomach at some point and like make your day harder, at, you know, at a lower intensity. So you really do need to take that in consideration. Like, I mean, I would never go out for a two hour easy ride and try and take on 400 calories an hour of like simple sugars, because uh, that would, um, I mean, I would get home, <laughs> I'd get home and start running around the house. Cause I'm all like sugared up for, for no apparent reason. Um, so yeah, I, that, that intensity has to match or the feeling has to match the intensity. And, and I do think, yeah, you, like you said, you, you want to go with more solid foods. You want to have something that has maybe a little bit of fat in there, a little bit of protein, um, or something like that, because, you know, yes, you're, you're working, but you're working at a lower rate kind of all day. And, um, 
And yeah, that's, that's when, you know, you will have a little bit of blood that's able to go to your stomach and, and help you digest some food because you're, again, you're not putting all that blood into your legs in order to push really hard on the pedals. So, um, so yeah, really just take into account how hard you're going and, and yeah, creating a fueling plan that makes sense for that is, uh, is, you know, crucial. You know what else changes? And I, I see this with athletes that I coach all the time and they, you know, sometimes they'll, when they start out, when they're new, they need a lot, right? In training and in racing, they need a, a lot. And then as they develop in the sport and race more and more races and they've got more and more training under their belt, more of an aerobic base, they become much more efficient. How much they actually need changes. So take into account what worked for you in year one, when you started this sport, if you're in year seven, it it could look completely different. So it's not like a, this worked this time when I first started, and that's what I'm going to stick with forever. Remember that it's like, it's an evolving thing based on yourself as an athlete, how, you know, you become more efficient as you develop aerobically in the sport and get you know, more miles in your legs, more race experience, all of these things that also can change and shift things. So there's all of these things when you're, you know, we, nutrition is such a hot topic and it's something we talk about a lot and it's a lot of conversations because it's always changing. Right. And so the more information you can get and the more times people can share what they've tried or not tried is, is, you know, it's useful for you to, to take and then see what works for you. Yeah. And I think that experience thing is kind of funny too, because I almost picture it like a, like a sine wave of like, um, of what you need to eat. I feel like, you know, as you train, you get more efficient and that efficiency increases and then you need to eat less and less. And then all of a sudden you kind of are able to capitalize on that efficiency and you start racing faster. And then all of a sudden you're riding at like, you know, higher Watts burning more calories. And, and then that, you're, you're still really efficient, but now you're riding harder. So all of a sudden you need to eat more again. And then you kind of get this yo-yo effect of like, you know, gaining experience, needing to eat less, all of a sudden needing to eat more. And, uh, and I, I kind of, I can think back in that throughout my career of like feeling like, oh, like I've got this nails, I'm going really well. Everything is like, is dialed in on my nutrition. And then I kind of like get a bump in fitness and go to a race and like totally bonk fail. And I do, did exactly what worked. And it's like, well, I did what worked at 220 Watts, but now it's 245 Watts and that is not going to work anymore. Um, so yeah, that it's, it's unfortunately ever changing in a lot of directions. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's not just about the calories too. It's about your hydration. How much do you sweat? How much sodium do you need? Um, those are all important lessons to learn too. You know, some people are really heavy sweaters and really salty sweaters and they need a lot of sodium and a lot of fluids. And of course it changes in the conditions if it's colder or it's hotter. And some people, not so much. Some people sweat a lot and it's not that salty. They don't need that much sodium, but they need a lot of fluids. And some people they really need, I mean, I remember some people that I raced with, they were even myself, I was 800 to a thousand milligrams of sodium an hour when I was racing in a hot race. Um, most average people are going to be somewhere between three and 600 an hour of milligrams of sodium, which is the amount that is in most of your sports nutrition. So you're pretty covered without any supplementation for someone like me. Uh, I'm a heavy sweater. I'm really salty sweater and I would cramp really easily and I like doing hot races. So I would need between 800 and a thousand. And I, so I, 
on top of my sports, like the actual, you know, gels and sports drink that I was using, I had to supplement with additional salt to make that happen. So it just depends. You have to find those things out about yourself as well. And then how it changes in different conditions, hot conditions, cold conditions, those kinds of things. Again, the amount of calories you need based on conditions, hotter conditions, your GI uh, stress is going to come on with higher calories. And in colder conditions, you need more calories, right? Because it's colder, you're burning through more. So understanding that as well as you make your nutrition plans is really important. And being able to adjust on the fly based on what's happening with you. You know, if you're out there and you're running and it looks really hot out, you know it's 90 degrees and 80% humidity and everybody standing on the sidelines looks very hot. You know, they're standing around shorts, they got umbrellas, they're sweating, everybody, you know, everyone looks hot and you feel cold and you've got goosebumps coming on. You better make sure that you get some salt into you into some sodium in you because you're you're probably going to cramp pretty damn soon. Those are signs like, well, it's it's clearly not cold out. Why am I so cold? You know, um, those little signs, if you're starting to get really distracted and grumpy and your heart rate's dropping and your power is dropping and, you know, you're just not performing, you probably need some calories. You probably need more calories, right? So taking note on what's happening with your body and use even what, if you're not able to feel what's going on with you, if you look around at the people standing on the sidelines, if you're unsure, you're like, I have, I've lost. Sometimes when people race, they lose the sensation of what's what the conditions are really like. They don't know how cold it is. They don't know how hot it is, but just take, you know, take a look around you. What are the conditions look like with the people standing around? They standing around in parkas and have beanies on their head and gloves and they're shivering and they're all got blankets around them. It's probably pretty cold out. Uh, so you might need to increase the amount of calories that you're taking. So I think, you know, being smart and, and recognizing signs as you go is, is really important as well. Um, so when it is hotter like that, like, uh, you know, in a race like Kona or even, you know, we're talking about Nice not being really hot, but it's going to be decently warm. There it should be in the seventies. Um, and I guess, depending on how much sun exposure you get on that run course, do you, do you have any, any ways that you like to recommend that athletes get in extra sodium or anything that's worked well for you if, or, or any signs that, you know, you might need sodium Any any things like you're talking about, like, you know, what how hot a course might be, but is there anything, any sensations that you like, you know, of that lead to sodium or is it just kind of like one of those things you have to experience? Yeah, I think, you know, um, so for me without, you know, brand dropping or anything like that, I, I legitimately, when I was racing and things weren't quite as sophisticated as they are now, I used to just put like table salt in my bottles and that, that tastes pretty horrible. You got to shake it every time and it's pretty hard on your stomach, but things have gotten, you know, thank God things have improved and nice products are made and all of those things. And as things evolved, I found that product called the right stuff, which was fantastic for me. It was liquid. It was, you know, like 1200 milligrams a packet. So I could put one in each of my bottles, knew I was getting what I need by just drink. I used to make this mix in my bottles that was, you know, Carbo Pro sports drink and the right stuff. And that worked really well for my bottles. And then I would have gels on top of that. And it was, you know, I wasn't fumbling around with pills and I wasn't trying to digest a whole bunch of pills. Cause when you need that much salt, that's a heck of a lot of pills per hour. And that can get pretty disruptive on your intensity and 
and um, execution of your race and pretty hard on your stomach. So I needed something like we we're talking about that was just already in my bottles. It was easy to digest. It was there it was the right amount, all of that. So I, I sought them out many years ago and they're still around today and, and do a great job. I know now there's a lot of other products out there too, that do the same similar things. So there's, you can look up any number of probably 10, 15 different products that are, but for the main thing, for me, it needs to be easily accessible, you know, like that's the, that's the big thing and easy, same thing, easy to digest. You're not trying to fumble with a whole bunch of pills all day long. To me, that doesn't, doesn't make sense when you're trying to go hard. So that was important. Some of the signs I would notice definitely, I, you know, I talked about if you're getting, if you feel cold and you're getting goosebumps everywhere and it's clearly not cold out, you likely need a lot more salt. Uh, you start to feel the twinges of cramps coming on, blurred vision, that kind of stuff. Blurred vision can be bonking, but it, if you're like, man, I've been taking a lot of calories, I'm still really blurry. It's likely a sodium issue that you need more sodium. So, so those ones also not being really nauseated for some people, if they're taking on a lot of sugar and they're not getting quite the sodium they need, they can feel pretty sick to their stomach. And by adding a little bit more salt to their to their nutrition will, will help alleviate that. So something to play around with, you certainly can take too much for you. So, you know, play, like I say, the ranges, if you're going to start out with it somewhere between that 300, let's say 300 and 600 milligrams an hour is a good base starting line. And that's in most of your sports nutrition per hour and, and see how you feel with that. If you have no problems, then don't, you know, try and load on any more, you know, that's, that's plenty. If you're having issues and you need more then start supplementing from there. Yeah, no. And it, just to kind of piggyback, I, I totally agree that like having something in your bottles can be really beneficial because I find the same thing with salt or sodium that I do with calories, where if I have a bunch at once, it can be really hard on my gut. For example, like a salt pill for me, if I'm racing really hard, like I can do it, but it takes me a minute, like of dealing with that in my stomach when being a little bit uncomfortable because it is like a big bomb of salt all at once. Um, <clears throat> versus if I put some sort of sodium in my bottles where I'm kind of sipping on it slowly, it seems to sit a little bit better. I mean, there have been moments in racing where salt pills have saved me. So they can, they can do that, but it is, um, yeah, it is a lot at once. So definitely one of those things, make sure you practice and experiment with a few different things. And, and, and yeah, again, just like even doing like, you know, um, an entire gel at once can be hard because it is a lot of sugar in one little go. I feel like a salt pill is kind of that same thing where it can kind of rock you a little bit. Um, if yeah, you kind of do it all at once like that. Um, if you're out there a long time, like if you're uh, like we talked about the racer that is going to be going at a lot less intensity and you're out there all day using the aid stations where they have pretzels, chips, um, you know, chicken soup, that kind of thing that's high sodium, that can be a little easier on your gut and you're going at a low enough intensity that that could be quite nice and, and work well as as well as an option. So the two extremes, right? The high, again, advice for the high intensity racer, advice for the lower intensity racer and what might work for you. And then playing around with it, uh, you know, experimenting and training and, and also then in racing, but not just buying into, well, this is what I heard from this pro elite athlete that it worked for them. That might, you know, that may or may not work for you. I think, you know, one other thing I want to touch on with that, that as far as safety goes is, and, and most people don't talk about it too much is, when you get into some of these longer races, people got all kinds of things in their little baggies and pockets like um, Imodium, 
Tylenol, Advil, painkillers, uh, Pepto-Bismol, Tums, uh, you know, I've heard it all, you know, because the reality of racing, part of our race nutrition, nutrition, and this is, you know, not necessarily nutrition, but when you're out there, things that you're putting in your stomach that, that come into play and, and people, we talk about the gels and the drinks and the bars and the salt and all of these things. And then maybe if you're coaching or if you're an athlete and things go wrong, they forget one of the questions I'll ask is be what are some of the other things that you're putting in your body? Because they will have an impact. And I would say that putting any kind of NASADs in your body and long races is pretty risky. You can definitely risk uh, internal bleeding and definitely risk going into hyponatremia, especially in long Ironmans. And so I know it's more common than what people will admit that they're like, oh yeah, I take Advil while I race, or I took an ibuprofen while I was racing because they knew it was going to hurt on the marathon or they've got an injury or something like that. And they don't really talk about it. And then they have all these stomach problems or they have all these issues that pop up later in the race. And they just simply forgot. They just don't even mention it or they don't even think about it. And it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, that, that was an issue. Now, can you take something like an emodium in the race because you're someone who gets the runner's trots? Yeah. I, I definitely did that in my racing career. Uh, I haven't heard of, and hope if, if I need to be corrected by a medical professional, I'm open to that. I haven't heard of any complications with taking emodium. I know a lot of racers that take emodium who have racers trots, maybe they're towards the end of the bike, they have emodium. And then maybe one halfway through a marathon, if it's uh, a marathon, an Ironman, and it helps helps with any kind of runner's trots, but haven't noticed any you know medical complications of any kind. So, again, if I if I'm meant to be corrected, I'm open to that. But I haven't seen that in my experience so far. And then same thing with Tums. People sometimes indigestion or have trouble with that. I haven't ever seen any problems with with Tums. If that's a troubleshooter for you. Um, I don't know if you know of any other things like that, Jesse, that people tend to add to their sports nutrition that isn't just talked about that much, but can play a role. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't have any other examples. I think those are kind of the big ones. Um, but I do agree that that is kind of something that people don't always mention, and it does take some prying. So I guess if you are an athlete taking those things, it is always worth talking through that plan with your coach or even with somebody else just so everyone's on the same page and knowing the risk factors involved um, because yeah, there are definitely some risk factors there. And, and like, I would, yeah, I would stay away from taking anything, um, any sort of like pain medication while racing. And if you're taking something for your stomach, yeah, maybe that's one thing. But again, I would also like look into that and talk about it with whoever you're working with to make sure that everyone kind of agrees and that everyone knows because if something does happen to you, it is really important to know, like, you know, what's going on. And, um, and yeah, if people just think you've been doing gels and not taking eight Advil on the course, then they're not going to have that information. Um, yeah. The other one is caffeine, right? I mean, a lot of people use caffeine and it's used in a lot of different ways. I've, I've seen people use it where they <clears throat> at like 150 kilometers in the bike, take a big calf, what they call like a caffeine bomb, which means like maybe they take a couple caffeine tablets and get a big boost from it. I've also seen people who say they don't use caffeine at all because it will give them the, the trots on the run. 
I've seen people who only save it for like the back half of the marathon where they start adding Coke into the back half of the marathon or maybe some, some kind of caffeine tablet or something like that. I don't know if you've played around with caffeine. There's obviously a certain amount that's legal and a certain amount that's illegal. I think the, the amount that is illegal on the, on the water list is pretty high. <laughs> I think it would be enough that <clears throat> your stomach would revolt before you would have any issues there, but worth noting if, if, you know, you have a stomach of steel and you're really using a lot, you should, should look into that. Um, but uh, do you use any caffeine at all, Jesse? Yeah, I use a little bit, but I use a little bit on kind of in those two places, like a little bit, the back half of the, of the bike, a little bit back half of the run, but I can't do much. It, it definitely kind of messes with my digestion and I think that that's something that people, yeah, need to be really aware of that. Yeah. I mean, it might give you a little bit of boost and it might work really well in training, but you should make sure just like all these things we've kind of talked about is like practicing, sing it at intensity because, you know, I could drink coffee all day long, but when I start riding or running hard, it becomes a much different game. Like that a lot of the gels that are like high caffeine will have like hundred milligrams of caffeine in one gel. And that is way too much for me. And I find that out the hard way and I don't recommend you to finding that out the hard way in a race. Um, that's a bad way to go sideways. So, so yeah, I would definitely like experiment with that. And like one of the hard things for me was kind of accepting those limits. Cause I see other guys that are doing like 200 milligrams of caffeine at once and getting this nice boost from it. And I would always be like, Oh, I want that. And I'm just going to like keep trying and keep failing at making that work for me. And, um, and so, yeah, it's like, well, maybe I just do two gels that each have 25 milligrams of caffeine. I spread them out a little bit. And that is kind of the boost that works for me. Um, and, and yeah, when I go too deep on that, it's bad news bears. So, so yeah, I, I really think like all these things, it is really something worth playing with and just kind of knowing that more is not always more. And, and yeah, there can be some, some pretty big consequences. And um, I mean, besides not sleeping that night, but just how that race pans out. Yeah, I, I think the last little like <clears throat> pro tip I'd like to give people uh, if they're troubleshooting in a race, I always used to carry with me for the back half of a marathon glucose tablets. And so if all else failed, my stomach was just like, nope, obviously they're not very many calories. You know, you couldn't, you can do a race on them. They're, I think they're like, uh, if you look at the packet, I, they're, they're very small amount of calories. However, if you're in the last 10, 12 kilometers of a marathon and you're racing pretty hard and your stomach is just like, no bueno, it's taken everything it's going to take that day. And you know, you're sort of riding that line between bonking, getting more calories in and your stomach completely shutting down. That's when I would have just a little baggy stashed of glucose tablets and a Jolly Rancher would work the same, any kind of hard candy, although breathing hard and having one of those in your mouth can be challenging. So that's why I like the glucose tablets is I could pop one of those in my mouth, chew it, and I would just, once you do that, you know, you're committed, like every 20 minutes, I would do that all the way to the finish line, but that my stomach could take, and it would just level out my blood sugar. And I could keep racing strong to the finish without having, you know, if you're like, man, I can't, if I take one more glass of Coke, this is going to create a vomit situation, or there's no way I could put one more gel down. I'm just going to, you know, the same thing. It's going to cause a problem, but you're almost there. You're almost done. And you're, and the difference could be you know, if you, if the wheels come off and you're walking, you're like a half an hour slower versus if you just keep the blood sugar steady with these glucose tablets and hold things all the way to the finish line, it's like, 
you know, sort of last resort troubleshooting right to the finish, then you can, you know, it can keep things just under control enough to, to ride it in and get there. So that's just a little pro tip that you might not read somewhere that I wanted to share with people. Nice. I like it. Um, and yeah, I feel like we could keep talking about race nutrition for the next three hours. Cause there's so many ways we could go diving into, you know, different conditions and what works when, and, you know, making sure you're matching hydration and, you know, that, that pre-race post-race, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I think that's pretty good. We covered a lot of race nutrition. I think if, if people have specific questions on it, they can feel free to reach out to us and we can, we can, uh, you know, help answer individual questions, or if there's more big questions on this you want to know about, we can always do a, a race nutrition part two. So uh, feel free to send us questions if you have anything else around race nutrition you want us to talk more about. Totally. And I, you know, I also, if you go onto my site there, mcc.coach, and you go under racing and nutrition in, in my uh, library, I have a few articles in there. I've got one, one like racing, race nutrition for racing fast and another, uh, a few other articles. So if you're, you know, listen to this podcast, reach out with any questions, anything like that. And also don't be afraid to dip in on my site and see like some of the articles that are there that might just give you a base guideline as well, if it's helpful for you. So good conversation. Thanks for chatting. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye.